All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm talking to you from the borough of Queens. Here it is the 28th day of June, 2022. A very beautiful day, um, weather-wise, not so much in the markets uh, in, in uh, many regards anyway. Unless you're short, you might be doing pretty well today, but otherwise it's a pretty bloody day in the equity uh, markets. Uh, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show and making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. So I want to invite you to keep your questions, comments, whatever you have to say about this show, send them along to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. Questions the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Also want to thank our sponsors making this show economically viable. This week's sponsors, Irving Resources, Novo Resources, Zeloro Resources, Core Asset Corp, SK Mining, Timberline Resources, Lion One Metals, and Raina Gold Corp. I've titled today's show, How Are Those Sanctions Working Out, Mr. Biden? Today's guests are Robert Moriarty and Chen Lin returns, and then uh, for the first time, Michael Spreadborough. He is the executive co-chairman of Novo Resources. He'll be with us to give us an update on Novo Resources in the second segment of today's show. On March 1, right after the Russian invasion into the Ukraine began, David Stockman said on this show, and I quote, sanctioning Russia and taking away their ability to use the SWIFT system would be crazy as hell because it will hurt Americans as much as it hurts Russia, end of quote. While President Biden blames Putin for inflation, truth be told, thanks to his energy policies and COVID-related supply chain shortages, as well as trillions of dollars of transfer payments to Americans. Inflation was rising rapidly even before the Ukrainian war. But it wasn't Russia's invasion of the Ukraine per se that caused energy prices to rise still further. Rather, it was sanctions against Russia and disallowing Russia to use the Swiss system, uh, which then uh, for international trade in dollars and euros, and that has dramatically cut the supply The supplies of vital supply, that is, vital supplies has been cut to the West and has exacerbated inflation beyond COVID-related supply chain issues and those other factors that I just mentioned. Not only did those supplies dramatically reduce supplies of oil and gas, thus leading uh, to the highest consumer inflation over 40 years, but they also forced Putin to tie the ruble to oil and gas and indirectly to gold. Since then, the ruble has been the strongest currency in the world. The post-1971 fiat petrodollar that enabled America to fund its empire through military force and subversive activities may be nearing an end because the laws of nature, as they apply to debt-GDP ratios, are driving America towards financial ruin, while our adversaries run their economies 
in a more responsible manner, I would argue. Well, Bob will be here, Bob Moriarty will be here to share his views on why the Biden administration is engaging in all manner of what many think are anti-American policies, not only in the realm of foreign policy, but in other very important areas such as economics, energy, and healthcare. Bob may also have some ideas about who the actors are behind the curtain that are directing American policies. Uh, Michael Spreadwell will be with us in the second segment, as I mentioned, to give us an update on Novo Resources. But right now, I'm happy to tell you that Chen Lin is with me uh, to give us his thoughts on the markets. To sign up for Chen Lin's letter, you need to go to ChenPicks.com. ChenPicks.com. Thanks for joining me, Chen. Thank you, Jake. Glad to be back. It's good to have you back. But, you know, as soon as you come back, the markets take a nasty turn downwards. So maybe you should have stayed away for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been I, over the weekend. I heard uh, the you know the distress call from the trader actually in China uh, mm. on the all the commodities selling everything. There are a lot of funds are just just want to get out. So you you can see not just uh, uh, copper was crashed, right? Zinc, everything was crashed. Even those uh, rare to find commodity like a tin got crashed. Mm. Even mm. the reason this week cotton got crashed. <laughs> cotton, mm-hmm. I mean, I thought consumer demand, you know, goods was pretty strong. So it's really the pullback of the hedge fund, right? The funds who was in was riding with the wave, and mm. now they want to out, and they find that the, the exit door is very narrow. So they they were yeah. selling, you know, as if there's no tomorrow. So they crash all the commodities. But however. If you compare this downturn versus the previous downturn, the inventory actually is very, very low. You look at the copper inventory, tin, zinc, you know, as of tin, tin, all the other commodities, uh, the inventory is very, very low. So it's, uh, I expect the commodity bull market probably will continue. But we will just need to get off all this weekend, let, let those funds sell, and then mm-hmm. let the real demand pick up. Yeah, well, I'm hearing on the retail sector, though, Chen, there's a lot of excess inventory. A lot of companies like Walmart and others have built up their inventories after the supply chain issues uh, following COVID. Uh, and now they're stuck with a lot of inventory. But, of course, what you're saying is in the commodity sector, uh, those are pretty low, those inventories. So that's, I guess that would be bullish once, things, uh, once the knife stops falling here. Yeah, exactly. There were uh, multiple factors. You know, during COVID, there was multiple, there were huge multiple orders, right? Huge build of inventory at Walmart, Target, and then there also huge build of those COVID-related manufacturing facility, like uh, with the LCD, you know, the, the liquid crystal uh, mm-hmm. with display uh, chip. Chip supply. Mm-hmm. I mean, chip going to be surplus next year, believe it or not. Wow! Wow! And then there's also uh, a, you know these things. I point out a few in my recent presentation, Metal Investment Forum. But you mm-hmm. look at the, for example, TV. Uh, I heard in in China people start getting a uh, hundred fifty dollar to a two hundred dollar for you know fifty five inch four um, K you know start wow. TV already already like wow. price. I'm, I'm pretty sure those will. Come, you know, maybe sub two hundred. You know, here we live in more expensive, plus shipping, whatever. It will be, you know, um, two two hundred, maybe two hundred in Black Friday. So, if you want to buy, you hold off a little bit. Ah, uh, interesting. Well, Chen, um, are you there, Chen? Yes, I'm here. Oh, okay, I was just wondering. So, commodities are looking pretty bleak. Uh, you're the biotech guy. What are your, what are your thoughts there in that sector? 
Yeah, biotech is rather interesting, and we, we, you know, as I mentioned in my newsletter, we talked to our friend in Crestcut, and they put some position in biotech, as you mentioned, mentioned in their podcast. Mm-hmm. And right now, it's looking really good. One of my key positions just exploded this week. They're going to get FDA approval. So, you know, it's hard to, to have a winners in, uh, in, in, in this uh, bleak market. And another company, very interesting, Tricida, TCDA. Mm-hmm. I mentioned in this news radio, in your, on your radio show many times, it's my yes, top you have. biotech. Uh, it's one of the few stocks actually did well, triple since we talked last year. Mm-hmm. And then there is a fund called Vanrock. They're just actively buying. You should look at the filing. They're buying as if mm-hmm. there's no tomorrow. They're buying 100000 to 200000 per day. They're buying that. Interestingly, 95% of the flow are already held by institutions as of last quarter. So if they are buying, if there's no other selling, I do not know. We'll see the selling at the end of this quarter, which is a few days from now. We could have a situation that institution own more than 100% of the flow. <laughs> that leads all the shorts naked right there, <laughs> sitting dark. So we'll see. We'll see the filing in, you know, of this quarter. Very interesting. Well, that's a, a company that's addressing kidneys, kidney disease, uh, and I guess it looks like it's pretty likely, that, from what I've heard you say in the past, Chen, you believe that it's highly likely it's going to get the approval it needs to move forward with the drug. Right, and then the drug could be the biggest selling drug in the world, you know, that the number one. So that's, that's the upside. So this, the upside is tremendous, but you have to wait for till the end of next year for that. But this year they will have a data. Q4 will have data likely in October. So we will have a key data that's proved they can, you know, the, the effectiveness of this drug. So mm-hmm. that will be the key moment. I, I expect stock to go up much higher from here. And then for my subscribers, I mean, I was talking about, and then your audience were talking, when they have a big pop like that, you take some off and run with the house money. So mm-hmm. we're getting very close. So now it's end of June. Uh, we're talking on data by the end of October. They right. officially and decided it's a Q4, but I believe it's uh, by the end of October based on, you know, the, the, the management, um, conversation with the management. Very good, and I'm looking today with uh, the weakness in the market. It's down 92 cents today to $9.72, so if people want to keep some dry powder and keep their eyes on this one, uh, timing for Tresita Chen, uh, how sensitive is it? I mean, do people need to jump in today, tomorrow, or, or do they have some time? Well, you, you can, you have some time. You just watch the filing. You see the, the that fund, Vanrock, just buying almost every day, so mm-hmm. eventually, the you know the weekend who want to sell will dry up, right? right. I mean they they are over ten percent. They will likely go to nineteen point nine percent. Usually, will see the fund when they buy like this. Sometimes they can get over that because they have multiple funds. So <laughs> it just there's just not a lot of share out there, you know, loose share out there anymore. So uh, that will set up a very interesting situation before the data come out. Well, those interesting situations, uh, Chen keeps his subscribers alert to. Uh, so those of you who might be serious, consider yourself serious investors, might want to uh, check Chen's workout. ChenPicks.com is the place to go to sign up for Chen's letter. Uh, Chen, thank you so much for being with us today. Always, always great to hear your thoughts on the markets. Always very valuable information. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Jay. All right, folks, we do have to go to break, but don't go away. Michael Spreadborough will be with me. He's the executive co-chairman of Novo Resources. He'll give us an update on 
Novo, and I know a lot of people have probably said, oh, Novo, who cares, uh, Novo Schmovo, where's that thing going? Well, I think you might want to listen to what Michael has to say because there could be some pretty interesting things taking place with that company that's really had a, a tough time of it over the last year, but it looks to me like things could change for the better. So don't go away. I'll be right back with Michael Spreadborough. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Lion Wine Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back, Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have Michael Spreadborough. He is the executive co-chairman of Novo Resources with me for the first time. The non-executive co-chairman of Novo Resources is, of course, Quentin Henney, who has spoken frequently about the company on this show. Quentin's role has changed with Novo, given his involvement now with Crescat Capital. So it is most fitting that we have Michael an mining engineer with us as Novo Resources evolves from an exploration company uh, to a gold producer. That's not to say the company won't be exploring because I think Michael's going to have some things to say about the exploration program of the company. Very exciting, I would say. Um, just a little bit more about Michael since it's his first time on the show. Uh, as I say, he's a mining engineer with over 20 years of experience in mining uh, handling all sorts of metals, lead, zinc, uranium, copper, gold, iron ore projects. And he has held roles across the scope of the industry from business uh, and project development to operations and exploration. And he has held executive positions at world-class companies like BHP Billiton uh, and the world-class Olympic Dam Mine in South Australia. Uh, and as the general manager, coastal operations for Rio Tinto, responsible for port operations uh, and Panawanka mine site. So I believe Novo is really fortunate to have a highly experienced mine operator like Michael steering the company as a gold producer uh, with very considerable growth potential, I believe, um, which, which is why I'm really sticking with Novo long term. Uh, before I say hello to Michael, I should say just remind you that the stock trades in Canada under the symbol NVO. You can buy it down here in the States, as I have, under NSRPF. 246 million shares at uh, recent trading price in the U.S., and U.S. money at $0.37. Cents. 
giving it a market cap of around 91 million in U.S. dollars. Of course, a little over 100 million in Canadian dollars. Michael, welcome and thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's a great pleasure to catch up, Joe. Um, it is indeed, and it's great to have you on for the first time uh, to help us, our listeners, understand where Novo is going from here on. On June 14th, uh, the company announced that it was planning to pause its mining operations at Beaton's Creek. Perhaps you can explain why that decision and under what conditions you might uh, re restart production. Yeah, it's a good place to start, Jay. So look, we are disappointed that we've had to uh, pause uh, production. But as we kind of flagged back in December, the optimization we had done showed that we would run out of economic ore from the oxide much earlier than we anticipated, mainly driven by, by grade and also uh, costs. We've ended up to be able to push the operation probably about a quarter longer than we said in December. But really the trouble we have or the difficulty we have is that we don't have approvals to move into the fresh mining. Uh, that process is underway. And at the moment, as we put in the release, we don't have clarity on when the government will give us approval for that. So we've flagged in our release a 12 to 18 month delay. We'll work very hard with government to reduce that timeline, but I think most people are aware bureaucracies have their own kind of uh, wheel and we have to go along with that. But I think it's important to say that we don't waste the time. You know, we're busy doing a feasibility study on the fresh uh, based on a new resource update that we're going to release shortly. And that really means by the time we get to approvals, we will have really de-risked the fresh done a full-blown feasibility study, lots of drilling, lots of metallurgical studies, which should give everyone a lot of confidence that when we move ahead with the fresh, we'll be in a good position. Michael, uh, you speak of feasibility. When might we look for that? What's the target date? Yeah, so there's uh, two key milestones. We expect the resource update to be available late July, early August, uh -huh. so we'll release that when it's available. And then the feasibility is expected in the mid of uh, quarter four calendar year this year. But things won't stop. We're doing a very extensive drill out. So we expect to continue drilling the fresh and maybe extensions of the fresh into next year. Quite a large investment. But again, we want to push the boundaries of the fresh, know as much as we know can know about the fresh and feed that into maybe an update of the feasibility next year. And again, that's about giving us certainty going forward. So there's no surprises in this work that we're doing. And from what you know so far about the fresh, it generally tends to be higher grade than the oxides? Yeah, definitely. The, uh, the drilling results to date have confirmed some of the earlier work done you know, many years ago. Uh, much more uh, consistency in grade, much thicker and higher grades. Cautionary note, always, until we pull it together and the geologists put together their shapes and we do the mathematical modelling and estimates of grade. Uh, let's see how it all comes together. And I suppose, you know, remind your listeners, there's always two, three sides to the story. One is you do the resource, then the mining engineers come along and say, well, how do I mine the resource? And, and from that, you'll get a, a grade that's ended up delivering to the processing plant and then the metallurgists will try to recover uh, that material. So the challenge will be, given the style of mineralisation, is how 
well, we can optimise mining so we reduce dilution where waste could get mixed up with the ore and how much of the ore we can actually extract. So that will be the key challenge. And, uh, you know, we should have those results, as I said, in mid-2020, uh, 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 mid-quarter four this year. Right. And, uh, and, yeah, and I think the other thing is in the pause, it kind of sounds like, you know, we're stopping, but the geological team on site uh, and in our uh, head office is still busy doing all of that work. Our mining engineering team are remaining in place. Our environmental team who will work with government on approvals. And we've got a small team that will keep all the infrastructure, power station, camps, processing plant, all ready to go for a restart. So we are very focused on trying to fast track that restart as much as we can. Yes, uh, so that's to do with Beaton's Creek and the fresh rock and the fresh material that you're looking to mine and get permitted to mine. And you're doing a feasibility a study, which I think, um, you know, will, will improve confidence and help people at least, at least have a sense of what the economics look like better than we now, than we now have. Uh, but you're not stopping. You're, you have such a vast, uh, area to explore and develop in Australia. Uh, in a video message, you said, just recently that Noble is focusing exploration efforts on a gold target and a nickel target. Uh, the Beecher, I think, is the, the gold target, and the other is Purdy's North. Um, I'm not familiar with Beecher. Where, where is that located? Yeah, so I think uh, some of your listeners will be very aware of Quentin talking about the Edgina area or the Edgina district. Okay. So Beecher sits in the northern part of, say, the Edgina uh, area, kind of north of previous discussions about Edgina conglomerates and swales. Okay. The reason we like Besher is the geologists in their soil sampling have seen a very large uh, extent of high grades within the soils. So the next opportunity is to follow that up with what we call air-core drilling. That allows us to take bigger samples of the soil, and then we'll follow up that with uh, RC or reverse circulation drilling. The thing that is very exciting to us is Besher's in the same structural corridor as the Hemi deposit, and your listeners could look up ASX-listed De Grey Mining and their Malina project. It's a 9 to 10 million ounce project that is literally, you know, just over the neighbour's fence. So we're excited by Besher. It's the same geology, same structural corridor, it's had very minimal work done in the in the past, and we look forward to uh, drilling that. It's probably late July, early August. We'll start drilling that project, but very very exciting. Oh, indeed. Uh, and you know, you, we've of course always thought of you as a gold company, but you but you're talking about some other things. And lithium recently, but you're mentioning the nickel target at Purdy's North. That's the Purdy target, I guess, that where there had been some exploration for gold. Yes, yeah, so, um, you know, we really said to the geos late last year that we've got this 11,000 square kilometres of tenement. Uh, if you trip over anything other than gold, let us know. And, you know, through their first pass exploration, we've discovered some really good uh, lithium, copper and nickel targets. We're not so much interested in lithium and we'll work with other people to uh, take the lithium off our hands, hopefully for some good value. But the nickel and copper do interest us. Uh, the projects in the West Pilbara at Purdy's North, again, uh, are very close to an existing ASX-listed company called Azua, which has produced uh, a first-pass maiden 
resource of that uh, uh, handover project. So again, same structural corridor, uh, very, very exciting to us, and um, we will start drilling there again, you know, late July. We've already completed some of the heritage survey work and we've completed some of the geophysics work, so that will be pulled together by the team to target our drilling campaign uh, in coming months. But again, very exciting. You know, I've said to many people, we're not probably in the nickel game to develop it into a mine, but we're definitely in the game of if we can develop uh, a good enough understanding of it, it's something we can talk to other people to get value for our shareholders. And Jay, you've been around for a while. You know that exploration can be the key to really uh, accelerate shareholder value when you see some of these projects come on board. No doubt about it. Um, and again, with the lower market cap, it's time for people, I think, to, to pay some attention to what you're doing. And speaking of what you're doing, we've long heard about mechanical sorting and the promise of it. You just put out a news release, I think it was last week, about phase two mechanical sorting seems to hold great potential. And if I understand the news release properly, uh, you, you, I think it was about 145 ton sample. Uh, you were able to get virtually all the gold out of this, out of this 145 tons in 1% of the rock material thereabouts. Do I have that right? Yeah, very much so. So a while ago, as people were playing around with the test work, the high-grade samples always went to Perth to be tested first, and we ended up with a quite a large backlog of lower-grade samples. And as people would know, the mechanical testing on the high-grade samples has been fantastic, really good separation of the nuggety gold out of the waste rock, which has been fantastic. So now that we own our own ore sorter, uh, and I think there's some pictures on our website, and we assembled that at the Nullangine Gold Project. We took the opportunity to test that sorter and commission it using the low-grade material. And as you said, absolutely great results. You know, you put the material through and the gold, which you assay before it goes in and you assay it out, so we know we get good recoveries. But essentially those good recoveries came out in 1% of the material you put through. So that's great separation. So we've proven that the type of sorter we have and the sensors and our approach works very well for Comet Well uh, on both the high grade and the low grade. So that kind of proves that process, um, which we always kind of expected, but it's nice to see it in reality. Yeah, indeed. And I guess just to remind our listeners, uh, the economic, uh, at least the conceptual economic model here, has you producing a, a concentrate through this mechanical separation process and then shipping that concentrate down to your mill. Um, is that Do I have that right? Yes, totally correct. So, you know, depending on gold grades, um, a primary gold mine, you probably would truck maybe 50, 50 kilometres or maybe 100 kilometres at the most. Beyond that, it becomes uneconomic to uh, truck, uh, you know, run of mine ore. And it's very expensive to build the processing plant. You know, the processing plant that we have Nullagine that we purchased from Millennium probably has a, a no replacement value of 200 million. So they're very expensive. So the concept with the mechanical sorting for those more distant projects is to mine it and separate the waste that has no value at the mine site and then truck a high-grade concentrate back to the Nullagine mill for processing. And Comet Well is a good example of that. 
some people do ask me about Beaton's Creek. It's only 10 kilometres away. We've got a processing plant that can take, you know, all of the 1.5 million tonnes that we can mine from Beaton's Creek. So the economics is it's better for us to truck and process that rather than mechanical sorting Beaton's Creek. Mm-hmm. But Comet Well, very far from the mill, is a great opportunity to do that concentrate uh, transport arrangement. All right. I, any uh, just in summing up here, then what are some of the potential share price drivers? I guess people should be watching out for the uh, your updated resource uh, at, at Beaton's Creek, and also then the feasibility in Q4, and uh, maybe some other assays along the way. Yeah, definitely. And you know the things shareholders uh, should look out for the same things that I keep talking to my team about, and you know looking for good results. So. Definitely on exploration, uh, look forward to updates maybe on some of the geophysical work, but we'll definitely put out releases when drilling starts on those two key priority projects. As we all know, uh, discovery is a great uh, driver to shareholder value. And then on Beans Creek, I think uh, the three key things people should look forward to is uh, when we finally get some advice from the Environmental Protection Authority in Perth on the approval pathway will let people know, and that might give us an indication of how long it will take us to get the approvals. Uh, there'll also be the resource update, which is not that far away. Uh, you know, the team have got six weeks to complete that work, so they're very busy, and then the feasibility uh, in the middle of quarter four. So there's a lot of big pieces of value that people will see coming through between now and the end of the year. Oh, indeed. It, it looks exciting. I know a lot of people were, you know, a little bit disappointed in the, in the delay and the pause and um, sort of a difficult start when production began. But now with a full feasibility study uh, that will be completed, um, I like the chances of, of turning things around at, uh, at Beaton's Creek. Uh, and then you have all this upside exploration potential. I think it's a very exciting story, uh, Michael. A- anything else? Uh, I think you've done a very good uh, coverage of that and uh, you've really focused on the key things. The feasibility study will de-risk the fresh project, so that allows us to have more confidence before the board approves the project and we can be certain of delivery of uh, shareholder value. Wonderful. So we're looking forward to that work. Yeah, um, really do from this end as well um, on the other side of the of the earth. Uh, thank you for all you're doing down there, Michael. Really glad that you could spend some time with us to let our listeners know uh, that there's a reason for optimism down under. Thank you so much. Thanks very much, Jack. All right, folks. Well, uh, don't go away because uh, Bob Moriarty is coming up right after the break, and uh, Bob always has some interesting things to say. I wouldn't be surprised to have a comment or two about Novel Resources if there's time. Uh, he <laughs> Bob always has so much to talk about. We'll see what happens, but you don't want to miss what he has to say. He'll be right back after the commercial break. Don't go away. Reina Gold is a newly listed company trading on the OTCQB under the symbol REYGF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol REYG. Its flagship asset, La Gloria, is a 24,000-hectare district-scale property in the prolific Mojave Sonora Megashear in Mexico, between La Herradura, Mexico's biggest gold mine by Fresnillo, and El Shonate mine by Alamos Gold. La Gloria has very high-grade sampling and is in the first phase of a 10,000-meter drill program. 
The technical team is led by Dr. Peter McGaw, co-founder of MagSilver, and Doug Kirwin, former VP of Ivanhoe Mines. Learn more at reinagold.com. Timberline Resources is a mineral exploration and resource development company focused on gold discovery in the world-class mining jurisdiction of Nevada. The company's flagship Eureka project hosts a significant gold resource and drill-indicated upside potential at nearby higher-grade targets. Timberline Resources trades in Canada under the symbol TBR and on the OTCQB in the U.S. under the symbol TLRS. To learn more about this district-scale asset with exciting discovery potential, please visit www.timberlineresources.co. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to tell you that Bob Moriarty of 321 Gold fame is with me today. Welcome, Bob, and thank you so much for joining me again. Well, thank you. You know, it's really good to have you. Uh, always good to have you. I know you're one of our more popular guests. Uh, I just, I, I want to, you and I are pretty much the same age, Bob. We we were both young men during the Vietnam War, but we took completely different paths. You were a crackerjack pilot. I believe in the Marines and carried out numerous missions over that war-torn country of Vietnam. I, on the other hand, growing up as a Mennonite, took a stand as a conscientious objector and worked in a hospital in Morristown, New Jersey, to meet my selective service obligations under the law. I recall one of the first times that I met up with you in person uh, on a panel discussion at a conference. I think it might have been in Chicago. I felt a little uneasy because I suppose that you, as a military guy, might have some contempt for me as a conscientious objector. But in fact, you, like many folks who have faced firsthand the horrors of war, were not at all angry at me, and I was you know, always appreciative of that fact, Bob. But here's um, what I'd like to ask you about. Um, that brings me to you know, one of the things that I really have on my mind, and that is the war in Ukraine and our government's policies with regard to it. Would you care to comment on on how you think things will work out for America if we continue on this course. Okay, and and before I do that, I would like to comment on your service and, and be absolutely candid. We would still be fighting in Vietnam if it was up to the Marine Corps, the Army, mm-hmm. the draft dodgers and the resistors and the peaceniks were the heroes. They were the ones who stopped the war. I didn't stop the war. You did. Uh, so let me comment on Ukraine because I, I, I am quite familiar with that and I track it closely. First of all, nobody ever wins a war. That's an important thing for everybody to understand. Mm-hmm. The only thing that happens is that one side loses more 
than the other. Mm-hmm. Or it's not a soccer match, and it's not mm-hmm. a basketball game. Uh, brilliant leaders do not win wars. Stupid leaders lose wars. And that's another important fact. And when you look at what's going on in Russia and Ukraine and NATO and Lithuania and, and the U.S., you've got to consider, you've got to match the leadership on both sides. And quite bluntly, mm-hmm. Europe has proven itself to be a lapdog for the U.S. And they're doing things that are so contrary to their own interests that I'm shocked. I wrote a piece, I think on March 1st, saying that sanctions were suicide for the EU and for the US and for NATO. And I absolutely believe that's true. Uh, the sanctions are total insanity. Yeah, well, certainly David Stockman was on our show uh, on March 1st, and he, he said, uh, he called it uh, sanctioning Putin was crazy as hell that it would hurt us as much as it hurt uh, hurt Russia. And uh, it seems to be that may be playing out, given the inflation that seems to be. We'll get into that in, in, a, in a little bit, perhaps. But, you know, Bob, we are being told that we are taking the moral high grounds by going in there and supporting the Ukrainian effort to keep Putin out. That's what we're supposed to believe, um, that, you know, war, that Here's what we hear all the time. Freedom has a cost. Uh, democracy isn't, isn't free. We have to pay for it. Um, how, how do you respond to that bit of, um, let's call it propaganda, perhaps? Well, strange enough, of course, it is propaganda, and that's exactly the way to label it. Uh, Americans are now being lied to by the government in every single thing they're being told. Our political system doesn't work. Our legal system doesn't work. Our education system doesn't work. Certainly, our medical system doesn't work. The military leadership is a total joke. You get awards. I I think the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff had 32 attendance medals. Now, the last time I got an attendance medal was a gold star, and I was a kindergartner. <laughs> but if you compare the leadership of, of Putin and Russia to that of NATO in the U.S., it's the difference between day and night. And, and Russia is absolutely categorically destroying the Ukrainian army. What Zelensky has done by keeping fighting is sacrifice tens of thousands of Ukrainian soldiers. And I got to give these guys credits for them to show up on the, on the front lines. Uh, they're putting their life in their hands. This is an amazing war. Anybody who's looked at the videos that have been put out by some of the pro-Russian sites, the Russians' use of artillery is staggering. Uh, I was at Da Nang, and I was at Quang Tree, and there were probably 10 or 15 times we were hit with 122-millimeter rockets, mm. which they're still using today. And a rocket could hit a mile away. I mean, you could hear the bang, but you certainly weren't under any danger from it. 
but she didn't know where the next rocket was going to land. So we were all terrified. And, of course, we're in, in bunkers, mm-hmm. uh, hoping we don't get hit. What the Ukrainian forces are doing, they're getting hit with a hundred times that much. But the use of artillery by the Russians and the use of drones for targeting is really quite interesting. Now, this is a personal opinion. It's not necessarily a fact, but the NATO weapons are nearly useless, and the Russian weapons are scary because they're so effective. Uh, Ukraine is very close to losing uh, tactically, and and that's an important thing to understand. Uh, Ukraine is going to end up being broken into three pieces. The south and the east will belong to Russia. The Mm -hmm. center will belong to a demilitarized Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And the west will belong to... uh, Poland and Romania. Mm-hmm. Well, how much longer do you think the battles will go on before something settles down like that? Uh, not very long. I would anticipate the the Ukrainian soldiers are very close to a, a revolution because there's just no way anything is going to happen to them except get killed. Mm-hmm. Well, why do you think, Bob, why do you think, do you think the leaders um, of NATO really believe uh, the propaganda? Do they really believe that they're doing God's work by going in there and and fighting Putin? Um, No, they're stupid people. Okay, if you listen to Boris Johnson saying it would be a catastrophe if Ukraine lost the war. Well, Ukraine had the alternative in February of admitting that they had lost control of Donbass and Crimea. And if they had said, okay, we're not going to join NATO, which mm-hmm. is what uh, the United States promised 30 years ago mm-hmm. and lied through their teeth, and if they implemented the Minsk II agreement for 2016, there would have never been a war. This war doesn't exist because of Putin. It exists because of the United States, NATO, and Zelensky. And they're all lying. I mean, it's absolutely staggering to me. You can look at what's happening. It's a totally lopsided, one-sided war. No, we're not getting that. Uh, it's, it's, it's a stalemate is what we're told, uh, Bob. It's That's not a stalemate. It's an absolute massacre. Uh, I I would estimate about 50,000 Ukrainian soldiers have been injured or killed so far, and probably 150,000 have been injured. Nobody's talking about the hospitalization issue in in parts of Ukraine that are not being attacked. But quite bluntly, the the medical uh, authorities and hospitals must be up to their ears. Mm-hmm. Well, Bob, you t- you've mentioned to me that you think that, um, I think probably more than once I've heard you voice this opinion that what's going on in the Ukraine is all part of a gigantic battle between good and evil. Could you explain your thoughts on that? Okay. Uh, I, I would highly advise uh, all your listeners to get a copy of The Great Reset and listen to Klaus Schwab and listen to his chief tactical officer, because they're saying by 2030, 
You will own nothing. You will owe nothing, and you'll be happy. Now, why are slaves happy, Jay? And this mm -hmm. has always been true. Why are slaves happy? Well, I suppose because they don't have to worry about anything. They no, just... because they're slaves, mm -hmm. okay? If you're a slave and your master comes up to you and says, how happy are you today? Oh, master, I, I'm really, 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 really happy. You say that because you're a slave. If you listen to them talk about useless eaters and how we're going to have uh, total control, total surveillance on a constant basis, and they will have the ability literally to shut off your food and money should you disagree with them. Mm -hmm. it, it's a scary, scary story. And the funny thing is, it, it's not a conspiracy. But if you go back, okay, and look at actually what's going on, and this is a military-industrial complex in the United States. It's a World Economic Forum in Switzerland. It's the bozos from Davos who believe the one-tenth of one percent should control the world, okay? But the climate change hoax, BLM, Antifa, COVID, the Ukrainian war, and now monkeypox, okay, are all part of the battle and that's from the side of the World Economic Forum. Now, interestingly enough, Putin, along with Merkel and Macron and Trudeau, was part of the World Economic Forum, the right. Leaders Forum. Okay, I think there were either 2,800 or 3,800. And Klaus Schwab has bragged about infiltrating many governments. It's certainly true of Canada. Mm -hmm. Putin listened to their plans and he said you know this bullshit i'm not going along with this so mm -hmm. putin literally is fighting for the freedom of the world and it's that simple if klaus schwab bill gates george soros zuckerberg if those idiots win we will be slaves well, certainly the technology is in place now, and to a great extent, from what I understand, the Chinese government is using that technology now. I was told by some Chinese people that we know that, in fact, if you're not, if you don't get tested on a regular basis, whatever, every two days or whatever the government says, uh, you will not be able to get on a subway or on a bus or go anywhere, that sort of thing. So the technology is very much in place already to do that, and we started seeing the lockdowns, I think I'd thought of it as sort of a pre-run the covid thing is sort of a pre uh sort of a a, a, a pre-run for what might be coming on a much grander scale in the future do you, do you see it that way uh i do but i'm going to tell you i believe uh the great reset at klaus schwab i i believe these people are in absolute panic now they know they're losing. They know people are waking up to what they're doing. Now, I, I sent you the link. You know, Biden has already pre-announced the next pa pandemic. Yeah, you, you mentioned that. I, I don't know if it was something. Was he, was he sort of saying we need to have money? Because they're always trying to get money for whatever they, they want, you know. So do you think he was trying to ginny up some, some reserves, some money in case something happens? Or do you think he really knows something? 
Well, uh, here's what's funny. First of all, uh, Joe Biden is, is senile. He's not a little senile. He is totally, absolutely uh, senile. He is given cue cards that tell him what he's supposed to do and what he's supposed to say. Now, I, I want you to understand, don't think for a minute that Joe Biden is running the United States. Now, I have no idea who's really pulling the strings, but it isn't Joe Biden. But uh, Biden's funny because he keeps coming out and, and putting his foot in his mouth. So he was talking about uh, money and, and pandemics. And he said, we've got to have more money because we've got another pandemic scheduled. And I'm going, Jesus Christ, did he really say that? And of course, his handlers would have had an absolute fit. But he said, yeah, we've got another uh, pandemic and, and I, that, I thought this is unbelievable. Of course, they would have told him they got a pandemic coming, but not realizing the guy's totally clueless. I, I mean, if you look at Joe Biden now, how could anybody in the world take the United States seriously? And and if if Joe Biden is stupid enough for you, you've got Kamala Harris. Reset that you referred to by Klaus Schwab. Is that an art? Is that a book? Yes. It's called The Great Reset, and it was published, I think, in 2020. But even the WHO and the UN have talked about accelerating, using COVID to accelerate The Great Reset. And mm -hmm. when you read the book and you see what these people have planned, it's pretty damn scary. I, I was just absolutely astonished that they make no bones about it. And their chief technical officer, I can't, I couldn't even come close to pronouncing his name. Uh, when you listen to him, you know you're listening to a monster. Well, it's uh, it is disconcerting to say the least. Um, and I, you know, obviously, what you're telling uh, my listeners here is going to be very controversial because they're being we're being told something completely different. But I think. Uh, there's obviously a lot of evidence uh, for what you're saying. If people care to look or they want to know, I think it's probably too frightening for a lot of people to contemplate the stuff you're talking about, Bob. But um, I think it's always better to be aware of what's of what's going on around you than not, so you can prepare for it as best you can. I want to ask you, the, the this whole military-industrial complex, as you say, we'd still be fighting in Vietnam if it hadn't been for resistance at that time. Of course, there was a draft and rich people got drafted too sometimes, and they didn't like that very much. So I think that one of the reasons that our military-industrial complex, in addition to the fact that it has unlimited funds, basically, because once we went off the gold standard, but one of the reasons they've been able to carry out these wars, endless wars, essentially always uh, in a war somewhere, is because there's no draft. Don't you think that if uh, Nixon took the draft away, and that made it possible, and then... You have a lot of poor people that don't have poor people that don't have the the wherewithal and the ability, the education, whatever, to to rise above and get good jobs, and so they're, you know, they go into the military. There's there's a lot of truth to that, Jay. Uh, let me give you some numbers that are pretty scary and that pretty much illuminate what's really going on. Uh, since the United States was founded, uh, the United States has been at war. 91% of the 
of the time. Mm-hmm. Since the end of World War II, the United States has been at war 81% of the time. The United States is the most military country in world history. And, and uh, going back to Putin, the Chinese and the Russians have great reserves of gold and they certainly are aware of what the plans are for the World Economic Forum because they've read the Great Reset. And uh, they, they plan for a new uh, reserve currency. The United States and the West has controlled the world for 500 years, and it's a debt-based system. But all debts have to be paid eventually. They get paid either by the borrower or they get paid by the lender. So we have this declining economy. We have a civilization in the West that has just fallen off a cliff. I'm just so embarrassed at the Europeans because I was really hoping there would be some real leaders who would stand up. And these guys are a bunch of bozos. They're on their knees, hands and knees, kutoing to the United States, and the United States is leading them down a primrap path. Now, let me read something to you, and this this is scary even to me. Uh, there was a report, yeah, let me see, by, uh, it's a German agency, B-I-L-D, mm-hmm. with reference to a study of analysts of Progos, AG, I don't know who they are. The termination of Russian gas supplies will make Germany's GDP fall by 12 and a half percent. Now, mm-hmm. that is not a recession, that is a depression. Mm-hmm. Five, six million people will lose their jobs. Uh, steel, food, and glass producers will suffer losses in the amount of 48 billion euros. The disruption of supply chains will lead to losses of 144 billion. Now, let me point something out that nobody bothers pointing out. Do we have a shortage of energy? No. Absolutely not. Okay. We just have energy in the wrong place. And rather than say, you know, why don't we listen to Russia? Why don't we find out if what they're demanding is reasonable? The United States and NATO took the position of, okay, you know, we've been egging you on to this war for years. Now we've got the war. Okay, we're going to cripple you economically. There's 195 countries in the world, roughly. How many countries have been affected in a negative way by the sanctions? Well, a lot of them probably because if it drives the price of oil up and most countries have to import oil, but there's a lot of them that are playing ball with Russia and China and they're not, they're not being hurt nearly as badly. No, they're being hurt. Of course they're being hurt. The cost of fertilizers up, the cost of natural gas is up, mm-hmm. the cost of grain is up. 195 countries in the world, 194 of them have been hurt. Mm-hmm. Who's the last country? Russia. Of course. Okay. Russia hasn't been hurt. Now, I said it, and other people said it, and recognized it as soon as the sanctions came out. And the United States is still saying, well, we're not going to buy Russian gold. Well, the United States doesn't buy Russian gold. No, anyway. No, that's true. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. It's it's one thing, Bob, that people just don't recognize. Uh, it's it's because it's what we're told all the time, the propaganda. But as Alistair McLeod has pointed out on this show, Russia has a debt to GDP of 30% compared to our 130%. They got a 17% flat tax, and they have very limited regulatory uh, constraints with regard to production. Uh, and you know that's more libertarian than than we are by far. So. Uh, Bob, we're just about out of time here. My engineer tells me I only have a minute. There's so much more I want to ask you about. There's things to do with supply chain disruptions, urea. Um, there's you know various things that are that are really really important that most people don't have any idea about. So what I'd like to ask is if uh, you would be willing to spend some time with me after the show because we do have to go now uh, to record more of your thoughts on these very important issues, and then we'll post it on our website, make it available to all of our listeners as well. Would you be willing to do that? Yeah, of course I would, Jay. All right, because there's too many, there's so many other things that I want to hear your, your thoughts about. So uh, we'll, we'll do that then. And folks, we do have to, uh, we do have to call it a day now. Um, uh, that's all the time we have for this week. Next week, our guest, uh, Matt Alistair McLeod, will be back with us uh, to talk about how Russia is winning the economic war. Michael Oliver also joins me and Michael Wood of Reina Gold. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.